Well, we'll take our Bibles tonight and turn with me to the book of Hebrews, please. I contemplated whether or not we continue our study on Hebrews tonight since it's right before Thanksgiving. And the subject in which we're, t- we're looking at, I-, I thought to be very fitting for Thanksgiving in that way. And um, that we would be encouraged by the Lord here this evening. Uh, we've been studying through the book of Hebrews, and I know uh, if you've been here for the past oh, six or seven weeks, we've probably been in here together. Uh, you may have heard me review on more than one occasion, but repetition is key to learning, amen? And so I'll review with you just for sake of bringing us back to uh, a, an understanding of the context of, the, of our passage. In Hebrews chapter 1, the Lord tells us of the things of God which we are to give more earnest heed to. And he describes particularly the Son of God, the creation of God, and God's salvation in and of itself. And then uh, moving into Hebrews chapter 3, the Bible speaks of the spiritual unity which we have with the Savior. The day you become a Christian, the Bible tells us you now are one with Christ. It's not the vine and the branch separate from one another, two separate things, but rather they are together. The vine and the branch are, are directly connected, a spiritual unity with the Savior. Hebrews chapter 3 also continues up into chapter 5, speaking of the rest which we have uh, from God. And you remember the illustration is given uh, in comparison, uh, uh, given of the children of Israel who did not find rest because of one particular thing, uh, a, make it, see if test you all. Does anyone remember? Why couldn't they find rest? There's one word, starts with the letter U. Does anyone know? It was unbelief, okay? Good job, honey. You get brownie points, all right? You win tonight, all right? You're in the lead, okay? It was unbelief. They could not find rest because they did not have belief in God. And the truth is, the principle, as we've learned from that section, is true rest that comes from God is when we have faith in him and believe that he's in control and believe that he can bring us to our spiritual promised land, amen? And uh, when that becomes our rest, that's all we need in life. In chapter 5, he begins to direct it back to the Christian a little bit more, and he speaks of the progressing Christian life. The person and the Christian who is progressing in their Christian life is not going to be dull of hearing. They're not going to be uh, living on the elementary truths, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Uh, they're going to move beyond those things. They're not going to be uh, receiving uh, tr- truths from God's word as a newborn babe. Uh, they're going to be... Uh, growing in their Christian life with the ability enough to receive meat. And then in chapter 7, we now see a description from chapter 7 all the way through chapter 10 of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. In chapter 7, we see that Jesus has a better priesthood than any priest in the Old Testament. And you remember the personification of Melchizedek, the high priest, who's only mentioned twice in the Word of God. He, being a king and a priest, is pictured... Uh, He pictures Christ himself, who was also a king and a high priest. In chapter 8, we looked then at the better covenant, uh, or we would say the better promise, the salvation which is brought through the priesthood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In chapter 9, and this is where we left off uh, last time together two weeks ago, we talked about the better sanctuary. And if you remember, we went through the very details of what was within the tabernacle and the two different rooms and the and the furniture within it and the representation that it has as that of Christ and our relationship with Christ and how that uh, where the high priest uh, would only was only allowed to go in once beyond the veil into that second room the Bible tells us as Christians we now have 
uh, a full ability to be able to have that access, not just once, not just one time, but to come before the very throne of God at any point in time. Amen? And uh, so we see chapter 7, a better priesthood, chapter 8, a better covenant, chapter 9, a better sanctuary, and chapter 10, as we'll move into tonight, a better sacrifice. And chapter 9 and chapter 10 really speak of that sacrifice because you can't have the sanctuary being spoken of or the tabernacle being spoken of without going to description of the sacrifices and or the, uh, the uh, offerings, the burnt offerings which were given. And so in chapter 9, we, we see a description of the earthly sanctuary. But yet, then, yet also we see a, the inferiority of that earthly sanctuary. It was it, it essentially, to summarize it for you as we looked, and you can go back and read it if you would like, the beginning of chapter 9, verses 1 through 12, we see that the description of the earthly sanctuary is so yet inferior to our heavenly sanctuary. Does anyone remember, what is that heavenly sanctuary? It is, starts with the letter H. It's a place up there. Heaven, okay, I heard a couple of you, all right? It's heaven. It's, it's the place where we will go to spend all eternity with Christ. That is the better sanctuary. It, it, it When in comparison to all of the traditions and the culture and the instructions that were given to the people of Israel to do within the tabernacle and the temple in its time, uh, all of those things are inferior. They're insignificant when compared to that of Christ. And so when we consider the sacrifice, that sacrifice, that ultimate sacrifice was Jesus Christ. Amen. And what a thing to be thankful for. Amen. What a thing that should encourage us is the, the, what, what Christ has done for us on the cross. And so we left off in verse 11 of chapter 9. If you want to look at that verse with me, the word of God says, But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. There it is clarified for us again, a better tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. And then look at verse 12. The Bible says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once uh, into the holy place. If you're in a habit of marking your Bible, I would mark that phrase in once because we're going to see that word once multiple times in the verses ahead. Verse 12, uh, it continues, entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And so we understand that the, their blood, the blood of goats and bulls and other sacrifices, they could not cover sin, but Christ's blood could. Amen. And so we see this better sacrifice as we continue into verse 13. Look at what the word of God says. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For the, and for this cause, he is the mediator of a New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promises of eternal inheritance. Now, let me just stop for a second. I know we've got a few of you are visiting with us. The book of Hebrews, can, we've spent quite a, long, quite a long time in the book of Hebrews. Uh, if there's two books in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, that is, that I consider to be a relatively deep studied book of the Bible, it would probably be the book of Romans and the book of Hebrews. They're, they're both, there's a lot of stuff that could, I mean, you could easily, just through chapter 9 and chapter 10, you could easily spend months on just working through this. So please understand, uh, as we study this through, 
this is not so thorough of a study that we're going to be next December you come and visit or November you come and visit we're going to be still yet in Hebrews that's not the plan okay so uh, we're, we're doing enough study to understand what the message is here and we see number one that God's sacrifice or Jesus Christ's sacrifice purifies the conscience Jesus Christ's sacrifice purifies the conscience notice verse 13 says how much more shall the blood of Christ we see the comparison made with the blood of of goats and bulls but yet when we think of the blood of Christ how much more it does how much more it accomplishes verse 15 the Bible calls him calls Jesus the mediator of the New Testament that in between where once before it was the high priest himself who uh, was the in-between individual uh, uh, between God and man yet now we've been given by the blood of Jesus Christ we've been given the full ability to be able to come before his presence at any point in time amen what a wonderful joy that is we don't need a priest anymore that's why uh, we don't uh, follow along with uh, the beliefs of Catholicism because the Bible tells us those things are no longer those things are no more uh, now that the now that Jesus has shed his blood we have better a better place it's been done by a better sacrifice and it's been shed by a better blood sacrifice and all of these things coming together verse 16 for where a testament is there must also of necessity be the death of the testator that word testator means to make a covenant so the Bible says in order for a true covenant or a promise to have been made in order for salvation to have uh, been made available for all mankind it, it had to have been done through the blood of Jesus Christ notice it continues for a testament verse 17 is of force after men are dead otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood and by the way can I just insert here for a moment as we're seeing for the last several verses the blood of Jesus Christ do we not see today in many churches how we're removing the blood I mean how unfortunate that is uh, people say oh well, it's just so gory we talk about the blood of uh, the blood of uh, of of, uh, uh, of Christ and it, it just doesn't seem appropriate but yet then uh, the children of those very same parents are playing all these shooting and killer type movies and there's blood splattering everywhere and yet we can't sing songs like nothing but the blood of Jesus and and power in the blood amen and there is power in the blood it is through the blood of Christ that we uh, we are given that ability to be able to come before Christ it is a better sacrifice and it is worth noting it is worth praising uh, so many churches so many denominations and and, and and unfortunately even preachers we leave out even the preaching and teaching of the blood of Christ in, in order to just cut right to the love of Christ the, the truth of the matter is you cannot fully understand the even a partial brevity of God's love without understanding what he did through his blood amen and uh, we cannot just dwell in even our singing and our worship of Christ of just speaking only of Christ's love. We must remember the sacrifice which he gave. It was an ultimate sacrifice. And it's because of what Christ has done for us that we can praise the Lord. It is because of what Christ has done for us that we have an assurance of knowing that we will be in a better sanctuary. We can be with Christ for all eternity. Amen? I mean, I tell you, this just gets me excited just thinking about it, all right? This is the first thing we see, his sacrifice purifies the conscience it does what no uh, blood sacrifice on this earth could have ever done where the the blood sacrifice would have uh, only cleansed it is Christ's blood that purifies notice the second thing here from verse 19 through 22 
we see his sacrifice was foreshadowed. His sacrifice was foreshadowed. We've, uh, we've had a reference to this already, so we're not going to dwell upon this. But in verse 19 through 22, we actually are given a quotation of Exodus chapter 24 in verse 3 through 8. And, uh, of course, the book of Exodus speaks all of the life of Moses. And it is within that point in time that God had given the Ten Commandments and that the law itself was given uh, to uh, mankind. And so uh, there is an emphasis and there is a specific that is being brought out here. Look at verse 19. The Word of God says, For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and the people. So note, we see in verse 19 what Moses did. There was a sprinkling of the blood. After he read the law, he would sprinkle the blood upon the book itself. He would sprinkle the blood uh, upon um, the, the sacrifice itself. And, and again, we could spend a great detail in the significance of him using water also within that and, and uh, the parallels that are drawn dry, directly to the Old Testament. But understand that the specific context here is you see what Moses did, okay? And what Moses did is what is described in chapter uh, 7 of that Aaronic priesthood, okay? You remember we talked about together how that uh, any other priest would have had to have been a part of the line of Aaron or uh, uh, to have been a priest himself. You would have been a part of uh, the Levitical, the, the, the tribe of Levi, to have been a priest. But it was Jesus Christ who was not a part of that tribe. It was Jesus Christ who, uh, the Bible tells us, um, he did not have, he does not have a beginning. He did not have a beginning then. And so, therefore, it is Christ, when giving himself, he uh, is foreshadowed through what Moses had done and is described in Exodus chapter 24. What Jesus did for us is foreshadowed in Exodus chapter 24. And so we see what Moses did. What he gave in that sacrifice, we see it signified through Jesus' giving of himself. Notice what Moses declared, verse 20, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. And so Moses declares to the people that the blood was an essential part of the covenant. As I've just mentioned to you already, it is the blood of Jesus Christ that is so essential to the very promise and the assurance that we have. Hey, if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus Christ and the giving of himself, why do we study the Bible, amen? If it wasn't for the blood of Jesus Christ and his shedding for all mankind, why do we even come to church? What would be the purpose in living in life? Uh, we, it is through Christ's sacrifice, that better sacrifice, that we have all the worth living. Look at verse 21 through 22. We see what Moses demonstrated, what he did, what he declared, and what he demonstrated. Verse 21, uh, the Bible says, Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. And so we understand the Old Testament rituals declared the far greater and far more effective death of Christ himself, and uh, th those things were only a, sh a foreshadowing of it. Um, and, and understand the writer, uh, as we have concluded, is very likely Paul. You may disagree with that, but it seems to be that it very well would be. But the writer is trying to, as he's speaking to the Jews, trying to help them to understand, stop holding to your traditions. Stop believing the law is all that you need for salvation. We have a better sacrifice. We have a better covenant. We have a better priest. All of that has been, a, it's just been a foreshadowing. It's nothing 
uh, that is necessary any longer because Christ has died for all mankind. And so uh, we see his sacrifice purifies the conscience. Number two, his sacrifice is foreshadowed. Number three, his sacrifice was not his end. His sacrifice was not his end. Look at verse 23 of the very same chapter. If it was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. That'd be a good uh, uh, two words to underline in your Bible if you mark your Bible, better sacrifices. Colossians chapter 2 in verse 16 through 17, the Bible says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of any holiday, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ, and it is that body of Christ that is that better sacrifice. Verse 24, and continuing, For Christ is not entered into the holy place, made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into where? Heaven itself. Now to appear in where? The presence of God for us. Mark chapter 14 and verse number 58, the word of God says, We have heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. Listen to this. And within three days, I will build another made without hands. That's speaking of heaven itself. Amen. The Bible tells us his sacrifice uh, was not his end. And so the Bible tells us that God uh, in giving himself and in, in dying upon the cross, he did not stay dead. <laughs> he rose again. He still lives today. You know what makes my God so significantly different? What makes your God so significantly different than any other God that is worshipped upon this earth is that my God is still alive. Amen. <laughs> and uh, so what a wonderful passage this is. We continue into verse 25. The Bible tells us that his sacrifice was once for all. This is where it starts getting good, okay? Start underlining, marking this phrase. The Bible says, verse 25, the Bible tells us Jesus came at one period. Look at what it says. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once, mark that, once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The Bible says Jesus came at one period. He didn't have to come multiple times as the priests would in the Old Testament. He didn't have to keep sprinkling the blood. He didn't have to keep uh, giving himself in order to make uh, and do all that was necessary. No, it was a one-time sacrifice. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, the word of God says, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us. Listen, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. The Bible tells us that Jesus came at one period. Number two, Jesus came for one purpose. Look at verse 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So the Bible tells us once in the end of the world, and then once to die. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, the Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin... And so death passed upon how many? All men, for that all have sinned. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, the word of God says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. So the Bible tells us that uh, as all mankind die once, so Christ's death upon the cross 
was a one-time, all-that-was-necessary sacrifice. Amen? The Bible tells us Jesus came at one period. Jesus came for one purpose, that is to make salvation possible. Number two, Jesus came for one payment. Jesus came for one payment. Verse 28, so Christ was, there it is again, once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 10, the word of God says, For in that he died, he died unto sin, what? Once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, the Bible says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Uh, you say, why does it seem like there's a repetition? If you've been with me all the way through from when we started in chapter 1, uh, there's a reference being made continually to this once-time sacrifice, this once-giving of Christ himself. And somebody would say, why does the writer keep repeating himself? Because it is of essence for us to understand that Christ only had to give himself once. And it was a so powerful of a sacrifice and what he did in giving of himself and shedding of his own blood, it was so powerful in that it only needed to be done once. And that it then made a way for salvation for all mankind to go beyond the veil and before the very presence of God that we then have an eternal home that's promised for us, a better sanctuary in heaven to spend all eternity with Christ. What a wonderful thing that is through the one-time payment which God did for all mankind. The Bible tells us his sacrifice, number five, could take away sins. His sacrifice could take away sins. In chapter 10, the Bible tells us, and uh, for sake of time, I'll just move along here quickly. Chapter 10 and verse 1, for the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the, the comers thereunto perfect. So he's saying these things were only a shadow. They, they were done yearly. They were done Quite often, uh, those things could not bring perfection. They could not have brought what Christ brought. He continues, For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Notice verse 4, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away only Jesus Christ can take away the sins of mankind. Amen? There is no uh, priest on this earth any longer that, can, that is, is of God's instruction to, to foreshadow of any kind. There is no priest, by the way, on this earth who can forgive or take away those sins. It is only Christ himself who has done that. And uh, so much doctrine that's in this passage. Amen? We see the doctrine of Christ himself. Romans chapter 11 and verse 27. The word of God says, For this is my covenant to them, when I shall take away their sins. First John chapter 3 and verse number 5, the Bible says, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. So we see uh, God, the high priest and the king, no sin of complete perfection, the ultimate sacrifice, gave himself, and in giving himself, he did all that was necessary in shedding his blood, making salvation possible, so that we can come into his presence. Uh, I mean, I, I can just imagine the, uh, Paul 
as he would be writing this, getting just as excited about the very idea of just speaking of Christ, his sacrifice could take away sins, amen? His sacrifice, it, it, it forgives our sins. The Bible tells us we are justified in the eyes of God. It's not just as if, we, just as if I'd never sinned. It's just as if uh, th there was never sin. God doesn't even think on that sin. This is the principle here. There is no remembrance. There is no existence of it. There is no, well, uh, I've forgiven you, but you remember that time? No, the Bible says we're justified. There's no existence of it, amen? There's no remembrance of it. And uh, we, maybe we should be running laps around the auditorium tonight. I don't know. This should excite us, okay? Here we go. His sacrifice could take away sins. Number six, the Bible tells us his sacrifice fulfilled his father's will. His sacrifice fulfilled his father's will. In verse five, the Bible says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings, an offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. In John chapter 4 and verse 34, the Bible says, Jesus saith unto him, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. John chapter 5 and verse number 30, the Bible says, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. The Bible tells us his sacrifice fulfilled the will of of God the Father. Amen? It was, as John 3.16 tells us, God sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. It was God's giving of His Son that was that better sacrifice. It was Jesus' willingness to fulfill the will of the Father that was that better sacrifice. And, and may this be a reminder to us that we would seek to do the will of our Heavenly Father also. That that would be our ultimate goal in knowing the better sacrifice that has been given and knowing what Christ has done and therefore making all that we know to be uh, made possible, we should be always seeking to fulfill His will, going into all the world and preaching the gospel, uh, being exhorters in Christ, encouraging others in the Lord. And, and I'm getting ahead of myself. This is the very idea of what he's coming up into in chapter 10. Look at, I've got two more points here. Number seven, His sacrifice does not need to be repeated. His sacrifice does not need to be repeated. In verse 10, by the, which will we, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Notice, once what? For all, amen? That's something to mark in your Bible. Once for all, you know that great hymn, once for all, amen? Wonderful thing. I, I try, I'm trying to hold back from getting too carried away. And every priest standeth daily. Notice, every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, that being Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins for a little time? No. For how long? Forever. Sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till uh, uh, his enemies be made his footstool. For by one, there it is again, one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. 
Remember, as we just read a moment ago, the sacrifices upon this earth could not bring perfection. It is only this one sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The Bible continues, Wherefore, or whereof, the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds. And will I write them? And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Amen to that. The Bible says, Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering of sins. Why well, aren't you thankful you don't have to, uh, you farmers, you don't have to look through your livestock and find a perfect sacrifice to bring to Pastor Miller and then lay it before the altar and Pastor Miller goes and sprinkles all the blood and, and uh, here we're going through. We don't have to do that anymore, amen? We can, come, we can worship in the very presence of God. Uh, we, we, we can speak to the very God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who's right here in the midst with us, lives inside of us, and the Bible says, written within our hearts, gives us that assurance of knowing that he's there. And through the working of his Holy Spirit, through our very conscience, and, and knowing uh, that Christ is leading, and knowing that he's there, I don't know about you, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. The Bible tells us his sacrifice does not need to be repeated. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, the Bible says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Now, as we move into this eighth uh, point, this is where we're going to leave off, but uh, because there's so much content, really up through the remainder of the chapter, we see the eighth point, his sacrifice opens the way to God. His sacrifice opens the way to God. And he's already made reference to this. I've already touched on this probably a hundred times tonight. Uh, it opens that way to God. But notice what he says. As I was reading this uh, and studying and preparing for tonight, uh, we, we can go through great detail on this, but I want to bring us to from verse 19 to verse 25. Having therefore, remember that word therefore, what is the therefore, therefore? Okay, When you see that there, that means he's trying to summarize in knowing what has been said. Brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, that is the holy of holies, beyond the veil, by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new and living way. Amen for that new and living way, the new life in Christ. The old man has passed away, uh, and all things are become new, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us, notice, draw near with a what? True heart. This is where uh, sometimes, unfortunately, the preachers seem to emphasize so much in all that Christ has done, and we leave out the application. <laughs> this is the uh-oh moment. You say, uh-oh, <laughs> is this what I'm doing? He's drawing it back to the reader. Let us draw near to God with a true, true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. There's that water again, as I told you. There's, there's a significance. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Well, that's, that's not always easy to do, knowing that we have the assurance of Christ in a better place called heaven, yet we can waver in our faith. The Bible continues, and let us consider one another. This is why I thought this passage would be so appropriate for Thanksgiving. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking, what's that, what are those next words? The assembling of ourselves together, 
as the manner of some is. But doing what? Exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Paul says, hey, you know that we have a better priest, a better king, a better sanctuary, a better sacrifice, a better covenant, that the promise that we have, and all knowing that Christ is someday going to return, yes, he came down once, and all, the only other time that he'll come down will be one other time to take all those who know him to be up with him in heaven. The Bible says, you know these things. That's why he summarizes, and he says, as you see the day approaching, what should we do? Let's have faith that's not wavering. Let's think of others. Well, that's hard to do in the midst of COVID-19. Exhorting one another. You know, you, you know, if we're not careful, Christians, we can cut all of our fellowship and exhorting of each other out and all this striving so hard to be a social distancer. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we go and disrespect our mayor and our governor and and uh, in our leadership that's out there. But the Word of God clearly tells us that as Christians, we have a responsibility. Amen? The Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Let's not forget about each other. We're, we are, we have a unity with the Savior. If there's the greatest thing we have in common with one another, let's say, uh, Brother Thornton and I, we like, uh, uh, what, I can't even remember what it was, but we like that eggnog. That's what it is, okay? We like eggnog, okay? You're in here tonight, you say, I don't like eggnog. Well, hey, you don't have to agree with us, but let me tell you, at the end of the day, you may so strongly feel that because you don't like eggnog, you can hardly get along with us, uh, and you have nothing in common with us, but here's what we do have in common, a unity with the Savior. Amen? The Bible tells us, Let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. May we remain in prayer. May we remain in exhorting one another. May we, may we remain uh, in doing uh, what, what is expected of a Christian, doing good towards others as we see the day approaching. So we think of this Thanksgiving. Yes, it's about family, your by-blood family, but it's also about our spiritual family. Could I challenge you? They say that this is what we call the church quiet, right? The faithful crowd. You come out on Wednesday night. Let's exhort one another. Encourage one another. These are some discouraging days. People are, I mentioned this on Sunday, where people are stirred up about the elections, or some would say, is it the end of the election yet? People are stirred up about COVID-19. People are now stirred up about, uh, you know, why can't we spend time with family in our homes? People are stirred up about, are we getting our freedoms taken away? Uh, there's a lot of discouragement. There's a lot of faith that's wavering among Christians. But God says, may we do our part. Amen? May we be encouraged in knowing because of the better sacrifice and all that we have in God that we can live uh, in, in rest. Here we go back to Hebrews chapter 4. We can live in Christ's rest, his peace that passes all understanding. May we not be as the children of Israel who are given the promise, uh, the, the promise and assurance of going into the promised land, but yet lost the blessing because of unbelief. Lord, I pray that you'd help each of us to be your people, to be guided by your hand, to be uh, ones who are finding rest in you. Lord, we ask that you would help us uh, beyond just thanksgiving. May we be exhorters. May we be ones with great faith in you. Lord, may our love for you and our love uh, and your love through us 
be so shed abroad uh, with those to whom we speak to, spend time with, we'd see on a daily or a weekly basis or even on occasion. And I pray for our church, Community Bible Church. May we not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. May we remain together knowing the spiritual unity which we have in you. And Lord, may we uh, be encouraged by what you have done and are still yet going to do. May we look past the things of this earth. Uh, Lord, we know and see that everything upon this earth is only but a shadow. It's only but uh, a clearer and clearer uh, picture of things that are to come. Lord, your word tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we know the day of the Lord is at hand. So may we watch and pray. May we be sober. May we get serious about living the Christian life. May we not forget our responsibility together as your people to be faithful to you. Bless our time of prayer, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for coming tonight.